Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Minister David Walker comes with a life-changing message entitled, Creative for Community. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. I was reading a, a article, and in the article, it, it, the title of it was, There's an Epidemic of Loneliness. And they said there's an epidemic of loneliness in the United States and lacking connection can increase the risk for premature death to levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It said our epidemic of loneliness and isolation finds that even before COVID-19 pandemic, about half of U.S. adults reported experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. And it warned that the physical consequences of poor connection can be devastating, including 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. And what it went on to say was that as we, we move more, we change jobs more, we're on technology more, and it has profoundly changed the way we interact with each other. And I want to tell you this morning that it is still God's will for us to do life on life with each other. Amen? God does not want us to live isolated from him. And so this morning for a few moments, I want to share on the subject uh, created for community. Tell your neighbor, say, you're created, created. For, community. for community. And my foundational scripture this morning is coming out of Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And it reads, those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with the praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord. Say, and the Lord. And the Lord, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. You were created for community. Now, what is community? I'm glad you asked. Community is defined as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. 
a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Fellowship mattered to the early church. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. They came together regularly for prayer. They were in fellowship as one body. They met together in temple courts and in homes. In other words, the early church were doing life together. They were doing life together. Ask your neighbor, say, who are you doing life with? All right, you ain't got to answer it right now. And my first point to you this morning, my first thought is community is God's idea. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 from the New Living Translation, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. One translation says a suitable helper. I even read where it said a perfect opposite. Now imagine all through Genesis chapter 1, God is creating everything and he's saying it is good. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Ooh, I created the land. Mm, that's good. Look at all the seas. Oh, yeah, that's good. And he's just saying that's good, that's good, that's good. And then you get into chapter 2 and God says, now that's not good. <laughs> now you know you're going to really zone into what God is saying is not good if an entire chapter he's been saying is good, is good, is good, is good, is good. And what he said was, is that it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we know this is a picture of um, marriage in the Bible, God, God's way, the way God set it up. This is a picture of marriage. But I still believe it's true that God doesn't want man to be alone. He doesn't want man doing life by himself. As human beings, we have an inherent need to be connected to others. You were created for fellowship, for friendship, for companionship, and for support. God's heart for you is to live in community with other believers. Biblical community is where we come alongside each other to grow, to mature, and to build our faith. Now listen, I'm not talking about just church attendance because many of us go to church. But are you connecting with those you go to church with? Turn around and tell your neighbor, say, hello, neighbor. See, there's a big difference when you just come to church and you say, hey, I, I, I went to church this week versus when you connect with people and you say, hey, let's go hang out. Let's do life together. What you interested in? What am I interested in? And you begin to share life. You see, all of us need somebody. Who's holding you accountable? Who's in your life that can ask you the hard questions? Like, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with the kids? How's your relationship on the job? Who can get in your grip other than your spouse? Who are you doing life with? We all have something to give. See, the world, the world glamorizes independence, but God magnifies interdependence. God wants us to do life 
together. Can you say amen to that? And so you have something to give, I have something to give, we have something to give, and together we can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, and I'm reading verses 9 through 11, and this is in the Good News translation. It reads this, two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's just too bad because there's no one to help him up, help him. If it is cold, two can sleep together and stay warm. But how can you keep warm by yourself? Two people can resist an attack that would defeat one person alone. A rope made with three cords is hard to break. You know, when I read that scripture and I was just thinking about this message, two people can resist an attack that would defeat one person. The Holy Spirit reminded me of a time when I was in college and we had just finished teaching a Bible study in the East Campus Apartments Activity Center. And so I had just finished teaching and here I am coming into the lobby and one of my friends, I overheard that she was about to walk to the bank by herself. And she was kind of in that stage, you know. <laughs> See, I ain't even got to say nothing. I just move and y'all know what I'm talking about. It's that attitude, right? I'm good. I don't need no ride. I said, well, I'm giving you a ride. Even if you don't want a ride, you coming with me. And so it's interesting, though, that the Holy Spirit brought it up to my attention that, and I don't even know how the Holy Spirit got this to me, but it was through the news that there had been recent robberies happening right off campus at the bank. Now, have you ever heard like just some random information and all of a sudden God tied that back in? See, that's the Holy Spirit. And so I, it, that was just kind of logged in the back of my brain because I wasn't watching a lot of TV and, and that sort of thing. But here I am. I bring her to the bank. We pull up. I pull up right in front of the bank. She is walking this long path, and then she's going to the ATM, and I'm keeping my eyes on her, and I'm looking around. I'm keeping my eyes on her. I'm looking around. I must have kept my eyes on her too long because a vehicle pulls up in front of mine. Two gentlemen come out from each side. One walks to, my, to the driver window. The other one walks and stands behind my car. So now one behind my car, one, the car is in front. I'm block boxed in. So, and I'm, it's happening so fast, I'm not, I'm not understanding what's going on. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at this situation, and she's coming back. And this guy is walking up to my window. He walks right up to my window. And before I could even think, I said, back up off my car. And I mean, he jumped back. And I, and I yelled, Tammy, get in this car. And she dropping the money on the ground. I'm like, get that money and get in this car. So, of course, she gets the money. She gets in the car. The guy looks confused. And then she gets in the car. She's fussing at me about yelling at her. And I'm like, listen, we was, we was as good as Rob. Like, that was about to happen. And we pulled off. And so my point is, two is better than one. Because I would hate to think what would have happened to her if she would have walked that night. 
Because those guys was in the parking lot waiting for somebody. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. When we was growing up, you didn't go to the corner store without a friend, a neighbor, somebody. You was going with somebody. Let me give you point number two. Jesus lived in community while on earth. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16 in the New Living Translation says, One day soon after Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night, at daybreak he called together all of the disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names, Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus is our example, and we should be desiring to be like him. He knew the importance of fellowship and friendship, you know, and he's the son of God. Now, if anybody could have been standoffish, you, you mere mortal beings... I'm only here to die for you. And he could have just been the most separated. But no, what we see in the life of Jesus in his earthly life and ministry is that he is actually rubbing shoulders with people. He is out in the community. He is laying hands on the sick. He is he running with a crew of 12. And I mean, he had a whole lot to work with with that 12. But he was running with them. They ate together. They did ministry together. They traveled together. They sang together. And Jesus considered them friends. According to John's gospel, chapter 15, verse 14, he said, you are my friends if you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> and so Jesus had friends. He also had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I just started thinking about this. What would it have been to be actually the friend of the earthly Jesus? You, you better not dare ask him, well, you know, Jesus, can you tell me the truth about how this look? He just going to give it to you like it is. He couldn't make it up. He couldn't lie. But it's important to, to, to recognize and understand how awesome it is that our Savior lived in community. Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, this is not in your notes, but I would jot it down. In the Amplified Version says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human. In every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. See, Jesus knew what it was like to be human. He had feelings. He had friends. He had family. He had folks who lied on him. He had folks who betrayed him. His own disciples abandoned him in his most critical hour. And so it's awesome that our Savior is not detached from what we actually go through in life. Because it, wouldn't it be interesting if you're praying to God, but then God's like, well, you know, I really don't know, you know, why you're going through that because I never went through that. But no, Jesus actually went through. The Bible says he was tempted at all points just like we were. 
yet he didn't have any sin. So he knows and he understands and he cares about even the most minute things in our life because he lived as a human. I want you to think about this. Peter, one of his closest friends, denied that he even knew the man three times. I'll die with you, Jesus. Jesus said, before the cock crow, before the cock crow uh, twice, die shall deny me thrice. I'll die with you, Jesus. You was one of them. No, I wasn't. Yeah, you one of his disciples. No, I don't even know the man. Then they asked him again. He started cussing and swearing. And the cock crew. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Smote his heart because he remembered what Jesus said. Now think about it. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, went right back to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Why are you asking me that, Lord? Feed my sheep. He said, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus was restoring Peter back into his rightful place. Yeah, you denied me three times, but I'm not going to write you off just because you denied me. Think about it. Jesus went right back to the same disciples that was halfway breaking their necks out of the Garden of Gethsemane to get away from him when they were taking him. He went right back to those same men. And come on, fellas, we got to keep on going. We got a message to preach that's going to change the whole world. Now, he could have wrote them off, but he didn't. Guess what? He could write us off, but he didn't. How many of y'all thankful for Jesus this morning? That Jesus did not write you off? Because you know, we done made a whole lot of promises to the Lord. If you get me out one more time. Now, I don't know how I got in this situation. Yeah, you know how you got in that situation. You kept doing the same thing. But the Lord gets you out anyway because the Scripture says mercy endures forever. And it's through the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. So why do we shy away from doing life with others? I wrote down a couple of things. Fear of rejection is one. We fear that people won't accept us, mistakes we've made or current sin or struggles we are presently facing. Bad experiences is another reason sometimes we don't want to do life. We tried that. I ain't doing that again. A lack of accessibility. I just don't know a whole lot of Christians. I go to church every Sunday, but I don't know a whole lot of believers. I'm going to leave that. I got, I got more to talk about that later on in this message. Pride. I think that's the number one. I don't need anyone. That's that I'm good syndrome. Listen, the greatest witness that we have to the world, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He said, if you have love one towards another. 
And how can the world see that we love each other when we're not even doing life together? The world needs to see us expressing and living out the love of God that goes beyond emotion, that goes beyond feelings, that goes, I love you, and there is no I love you because. Tell your neighbor, say, I love you with the love of Christ. If Jesus was doing life with others, so should you and I. Let me give you my third point this morning, and it's isolation is the enemy's intent. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 in the New Living Translation says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let me tell you something this morning. The devil is not a roaring lion. He just goes about as a roaring lion. I heard something years ago from Hilton Sutton. He said, if the devil was a roaring lion, he said he'd be a toothless lion because Jesus punched all the teeth out of his mouth. And the worst he could do is gum you. But he's not a roaring lion. But the scripture says he goeth about as a roaring lion, watch this, seeking whom he may devour, which lets us know that he can't devour everybody. He's just looking for the one he can devour. And if you know anything about lions, lions, they look for the youngest, the weakest, the one that's isolated off to themselves. They're not paying attention. Lions are one who stalk their prey. They hunt more effectively at night. And so while you doing you and nobody can't touch you and nobody be around you, the enemy's saying, that's the one we're going for right there. They have no protection. See, lions will target out their prey. They're looking for someone who they can, who is away from the pack so that they can destroy them. You know, when you're faced with struggles in life, it seems as though we have a tendency to pull away and want to withdraw. And there's a tendency when there's family issues, relationship issues, things going on in our life, sometimes there is this temptation to say, eh, you know, I just need to be alone. When really, we, that's the time we need people the most. We need people giving us a fresh perspective. We need people helping us out on the journey. We don't need to pull away. That's when we need to be around people the most who love us, who are praying for us, who are encouraging us, and who can help us. Have you ever felt isolated before? I have. And let me tell you, the enemy will do it to try to get you off so that he can take advantage of your mind and your thinking. I remember there was a, a real challenging season I was going through, and I'm telling you what, the enemy was trying to talk different things to me and tell me certain things and 
you know, you just depressed. I'm hearing things like you just, things are just not working. Nothing is going to happen. And, I, you know, you're working a job and you don't like the job. And you have all, this is a rough season, right? And, you know, some people, when they're going through a rough season, you know, for me, I needed some comfort food. Now, you all know that's not good when you, you're going through a rough season. All of a sudden, you start eating a lot, too. And so I was eating these, these, <laughs> these double fish fillet sandwiches. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm telling you, my mind was being bombarded with thoughts. And I was just, you know, man, I'm just going to go get me another one of them sandwiches because when I eat the sandwich, I feel good for about 10 seconds after, and then I feel terrible because I'm like, this is not, I shouldn't be eating this. And as I went through this process and I was, I was working my way out of it, I remember I knew it was time to stop, especially these sandwiches, when I went to ring it up and the total bill was $6.66. I said, oh, no. I said, you want to talk about a wake-up call? When they say, yes, sir, that'll be $6.66, I say, okay. Why don't you add another drink to that just to, just to eliminate that total? But we've all been through areas where it's shaky. But if you don't get back to your crew, if you don't get back to your, to your family, to your community, the enemy will pick you off. He will take advantage of your mind. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about taking the shield of faith wherewith we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How do we quench the fiery darts of the wicked one? He's throwing them. Those are thoughts he's, th he's throwing at your mind trying to get you to think something other than what God has said about you already. God has already declared that you are healed. God has already declared that you are prosperous. God has already declared that you are blessed. God has already declared that you are the head and not the tail, above only and never again to be beneath. Where we fail is when we start to agree with the unbelief and agree with the enemy instead of agreeing with God. So what should I do when I'm under attack? Peter tells us in verse 9, New Living Translation, 1 Peter 5, 9, he says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. First thing you need to do is stand firm against the enemy. Know who you are. The greater one lives on the inside of you. And guess what? You cannot defeat the devil with a closed mouth. You have to open up your mouth and say, I am not depressed, devil. I am not broke, devil. I am not sick, devil. I will not go down, devil. You can't stop me, devil. Nothing going to stop me. I will not stop until he take me up. That's it. Because if you try to fight the enemy with thoughts, he going to wear you out. You got to talk back to him and you got to talk the word to him. Oh, you won't talk this morning. Oh, you talking this morning, devil? Oh, I got something for you. And that's when you go grab your Bible, you grab your phone and you say, you won't talk. I'm going to talk. We going to talk. Yeah, let's talk. And I guarantee you the devil going to say, I'm out of here because I don't want to deal with you. You too much this morning. 
You got too much on you this morning. You know who you are this morning. You got to stand up and be who God called you to be. The second thing is that you have to be strong in your faith. Speaking that word, declaring what the word says. And then third, he said, remember your family of believers. Remember that you're not doing life alone. Remember that there are others who are going through the same thing as you. But the only way you're going to find out is if you're doing life with them. See, if you just come to church and then you leave, you don't know what everybody next to you may be even going through. Somebody might have the answer to what you've been seeking for for the last five years in this room. You don't even know. Community is the cure for isolation. So we have to resist the temptation to just do us. Let me give you my last point. And my last thought this morning, it is transformation occurs in community. James chapter 5, the A part of that verse in verse 16, I'm reading out of the King James Version. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God designed life. I read this quote and I thought it was really good that God designed life where we go to him for forgiveness, but we go to others for healing. And healing, the Holy Spirit gave me this, takes place when we take off the mask of perfection. See, as long as we act like there's nothing wrong with us, we keep the cycle continues to perpetuate. I have found in my own personal life that the more transparent I am with my faults and my failures and my struggles and my challenges, the more transparent I've, I've become, the freer I've become. See, we think, oh, if I tell somebody, oh, what, what will they do with that information? One person might take that information and do something bad with it, but that information could probably bless 100 people, maybe 1,000 people, maybe more. So while you're trying to protect one person from running off and doing something crazy. There are others that could be blessed by your testimony, by your struggle, by your challenges. And then also, when you open up and you share, you, 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 you allow people to be able to share with you. See, I'm not going to be transparent with you, and you ain't saying nothing. Right. <laughs> Here, I didn't pour my whole heart out to you. And you're like, oh, that's nice. Nah, we ain't talking no more. I need to know a little bit about you for this conversation going to keep going on. And so it's a mutual sharing. But if some of us want to experience a different life, we have, to, we have to quit holding on to friendships, relationships that are not godly, that are not encouraging, that are not building us up. We need to be around people who are going to infuse life, who have like precious faith, who are going to encourage us and can give us a hot word at the right time. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 in the New Living Translation says, walk with wise and you'll become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. 
John Maxwell said this. He said, the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. See, you want to you go to the next level in your life? You might need to get a, a, another level of friends. You might, to, you might need to find some different people and say, God, send some people in my life who can help me develop and grow and become who you've called me to be. If you're interested in meeting new people, being in fellowship with believers of like precious faith, going to the next level in intentional relationships, I'm going to invite you in a couple of weeks, we're going to embark on a spiritual journey. 40 days. It's called Connect 40. How many of you are familiar with that? The number 40 signifies, boy, that word was a little tough coming out. <laughs> Let me try that again. The number 40 signifies new life, new growth, transformation, change, new beginnings, fresh starts. 40 is a significant number in biblical history. Jesus fasted 40 days before his public ministry. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai with God in the Ten Commandments. The 12 spies were in the promised land for 40 days. We, 40 days is a number of transformation. And we have Connect 40 coming in a couple of weeks. Pastor Gregory is going to share more about it. But I want to let you know, this is your opportunity to connect. This is your opportunity. You say, well, you know, I just don't have any Christian friends. Well, you don't have no excuse now. Yeah. <laughs> or at least you don't have no excuse at Linked Up Church now. Because there'll be groups you can connect with. And in 40 days, let me tell you, transformation can happen in 40 days. When you lock in, change can happen. So much can happen when you're doing life with other believers. Connect groups are one of the ways we do life and community at Linked Up. Well, why are connect groups important? Let me tell you, uh, four reasons. Number one, spiritual growth. When you're doing life with other believers, you're going to grow spiritually. Amen. Now you got somebody to kind of call you out if you start talking crazy. Right. Number two, meaningful relationships. Now you have people who they mean something to you. You can care for them, and they care for you. They haven't seen you at church. They haven't seen you serving. They haven't seen you. Hey, what's going on? How are you doing? You good? Everything all right? How's that walk? See, without it, we don't have any accountability. We can just kind of be out on our own. Number three, freedom. God uses people to help us get free. And then number four, accountability, visibility, transparency, and intimacy in a safe place. Amen. These are some of the benefits of being in a connect group and being in a connect group and doing life with others will cause your life to transform and to change. I wrote this down that someone has been through what you're going through. And someone has done what you're trying to do. And we discover these things when we connect in groups. 
Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other. Tell your neighbor, say, I need you. Turn around and tell your other neighbor, say, I need you. We need each other. In a world that is challenged, in a world that is having difficult times, we don't need to be isolated. We need to be together. And together we can do great things for God. The Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for what? Brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. Verse 3 of that particular uh, verse, he says, there I command the blessing. Where is the blessing commanded? When there is unity and there is fellowship. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Praise God. I want you, everyone to just search your hearts for a moment. There's this song back in the day they used to sing, I need you, you need me. You remember that? Can we sing that? Can we sing that? Just, just a couple of verses of that. Y'all remember that song? I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away, and you're desiring to come back to Christ today. 
I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth and what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.